Nurse.com is proud to be a sponsor of the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. As the premier destination for nursing knowledge and resources, Nurse.com supports your passion for healthcare with an unrivaled collection of tools, articles, and courses tailored for the nursing community. Get your daily dose of things you need to know for your nursing journey. Discover the world of nursing like never before with Nurse.com. Empower your practice, advance your career, and enrich your knowledge. Nurse.com. It's your nurse life all in one place. You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast, the show where we talk about anything and everything nursing and healthcare related. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist, family nurse practitioner, and chief nursing officer at Nurse.org. And um, I want to just talk about something that literally just hit me this past week um, as I was at work. Uh, For those of you who may not know, yes, I am still at the bedside actively taking care of patients working. Uh, One of my hats in an RN role, another hat in a nurse practitioner role. Um, But nevertheless, still front lines working with patients, very sick in the acute care setting. Now, some of my colleagues have had some really rough interactions with families, friends, and I'm, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It has caused them to have terrible work days. And it's not because of the patient or what the patient needs, but it's because of the support system that comes along with the patient. And I'm not going to say that I haven't had some of those encounters, but fortunately, I've been able to kind of dip my stuff in the bud, set some boundaries and pivot from those, you know, not so nice interactions so we can change the course of, you know, how this is going to play out the rest of the shift while y'all are here. This is what we're going to do because I'm going to tell you what we're not going to do. Now, before I say so in that way, I just, you know, part of it is I wanted to acknowledge that, you know what, nurses, you are doing one heck of a job. You're taking care of very sick, complicated patients, oftentimes with not enough staffing, limited resources, with a lack of support, and you're still helping the patients to get the care that they need. What complicates things can be our interactions or having to deal with the difficult family members that come along with these patients. So, you know, we'll come in, we'll start our shift and the patient could be as sweet as pie, right? So nice, so lovely, very cooperative. Um, Maybe they ask some questions, you get them answered. They seem satisfied. You seem like, okay, this is good. Then comes in that other person whether it's a significant other or it's a friend or it's, you know, that everyone has that family member that's a healthcare provider. And that's no shade. That's no not good. More power to you. I'm glad. So when I'm out the room, there's someone else who can help you understand what's going on. But either way, it's usually someone there who for a variety of reasons can be extremely demanding. And that can take over your whole shift. It can make your work a lot harder and it can make the shift seem a lot longer. And um, quite honestly, it can interfere with the quality and safety of care that you provide your patients. Some of these folks are downright verbally abusive, they're inappropriate, and some of them may even come to the bedside intoxicated or just intoxicated from chemicals or substances or just toxic in how they communicate. But it's all kind of chaos. And um, there are also those family members who are asking a lot of questions, maybe repeatedly in different ways, but it's just 
that they just can't comprehend what's going on with the patient because perhaps it's not being explained to them in a way that they can understand. And there are some people who just don't understand what a nurse's workload is. And they will push the call bell, call out every five seconds. You can be in the middle of a code, ripping and running to get supplies and someone's going to tap you on your shoulder like, can you give me a warm blanket? My loved one needs a warm, warm blanket. Listen, lady, I don't have time to get a warm blanket right now. But, you know, you, we can say so in, in, in constructive diplomatic ways. Um, but sometimes when the stakes are high and we're operating on a very limited amount of time, sometimes we say things, we can be short, we can be abrupt, what can seem to be abrupt, but we're really operating in crisis mode. But nevertheless, we have patient families or patient friends who for a variety of reasons, they seem to be interfering with the care that we're providing. But I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge us to think a little bit differently and constructively and look at it as they don't know what's going on and what's missing here so I can help them understand what's happening so they can be more appropriate considering all of their circumstances. That is how I have been successful and not losing my cool at work when I feels like I have one of those types of patients, family members, literally, because it's so easy for our mind to just pivot to, oh my gosh, don't they know? Don't they know what I got going on? Don't they know? Like, no, they don't know. They don't know. So if I assume, I hate to use the word assume because I, you know, I, like, I don't like what that stands for, but I take the stance of if there's someone who is asking questions, being demanding, or, you know, seems somewhat, for lack of better words, impossible, I do an assessment I'm like, hmm, what's going on here that they don't understand? What is the knowledge deficit that is occurring in this individual where they're interfering with my care? Now, listen, sometimes you will lose your cool and you don't have time to think like that. But in the position that I've been, and part of that is also in leadership and in television and media, you can't afford to lose your cool because once you lose your cool, you will forever be the nurse that loses their cool and not viewed as a source, a resource during times of crisis or in times of need. Let me say this, shout out to nurse.org first because nurse.org has this great article that you all need to read. It's online. The article is called Six Tips for Dealing with Difficult Patient Family Members as a Nurse. I really want everyone to go read that. It is a total must read for nursing students, new grads, experienced nurses, and even nurses who've been nursing for a while. Sometimes we need a reminder how it is to deal with these patients. Because sometimes, you know, if you're dealing with these patients all the time, you may know more of these things, or at least after listening to this, you will. But if you're someone who doesn't encounter this all the time, when you do encounter someone, you might be a little lost for what to do. I will say this. I think, no, I knew for a fact that I've dealt with some very, very difficult patients, especially working in the emergency room during the pandemic, during the flu seasons, before the pandemic, and in ICU, when the stakes are really, really high and care is very complex. But regardless of what environment that you're in, we all have the potential of encountering a patient who has a very difficult or challenging family member or friend. But again, I want to challenge you to look at that individual as that there's an educational opportunity there. Let's assess what's missing in this situation where this person believes that what they're doing is okay right now. Let me let me school them real quick. But in schooling them, we're going to start with us schooling ourselves as nurses. So tip number one in this article, it references being honest and set realistic expectations. So I like this. 
as soon as you get report, as soon as you get report and you know that you have that challenging patient, and I don't want to say the patient, but the family member can be challenging. I'm going to say this, get your report. Let's uh, triage and let's see, okay, who do I need to go see in first? Obviously, biological safety pain needs need to come first, right? Get Take care of those emergencies. And then we're going to go see this challenging family member and their patients next on our list at the soonest ability to, to do a check-in in the morning. And actually, I'll have to say this. I think handoff is the best time for that first check-in. We're supposed to do bedside shift report, guys. You're supposed to. I understand that some people don't. They do it in the hallway. They do, especially if there's some information that could be very delicate about the family member that you want to talk about. But nevertheless, I like going in with the off-going shift and me coming on or you know, vice versa, maybe if I'm going off and really use it as an opportunity to touch base and allow that family member to be recognized, to know that they have been heard and that their needs are not falling on deaf ears and that the information is truly being endorsed to the next shift. So I like to check in with them and then, you know, hi, I'm Alice. I'm going to be the nurse taking care of your mother today. You know, as you can see, we're getting shift report. I'm going to go around. I'm going to see everyone check in, make sure see how they're doing. Then I'm going to take a, a look at all of the things that need to be done today. And then I am going to uh, create a list and get to all of those things. And I will definitely have an opportunity to come back into the room to chat with you further and also to take a look at your mom, make sure that everything's going okay, do an assessment, medications and things like that. So if you if you don't mind, I'm gonna be doing this. So roughly at least an hour, hour two, I should definitely be back within that time frame. But if not, if there's something that you need sooner than that, you can push the call light and either myself or one of my team members will be in to help you. But before I leave, is there anything right away that you want to, as of a concern or a question, and it's something that perhaps I can get to sooner versus later, and just be open to listen, let them feel heard. Then if it's something you can answer right then and there, great. If not, say, you know what? I don't have the answer to that question yet. I know the physicians make their rounds by mid-morning sometime. Let me see. I will try to find out some information before then, but if not, um, we'll definitely bring it up in rounds when the doctor comes by and, you know, something like that. But letting them be heard, but being honest and realistic about expectations. So in that, I introduced myself kind of, I didn't say, well, I have this, 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 and this to do. Like, it's not her, it's not her problem of the work that I have to do, but I've in a nice constructive way have shared some of my workload and expectations that, you know, I can, I'll be back in about an hour or two. But I've also addressed the need that if you need something, push the call light and it'll either be me or someone else will come and address your needs. And then I even took it a step further and said, is there anything I can answer for you now? Any questions or comments? So they can't say that I didn't give them a chance to ask a question. I wasn't listening. I wasn't there for them, but I was honest about what the day would look like. I was realistic about the expectations of when they can expect me to come in. And if I'm not here, what would happen uh, what could happen by pushing the call light and them still getting attention. So I think that's really, really important that you start your day off that way. And I like doing that, especially again, like I said, in handoff, because when the night nurse is there and I'm there, it shows solidarity. It shows like, Mm-mm, you're not finna punk us. You're not finna put night shift versus day shift. And I told them this and they told me that. And no, we're here together. We just got report. We're here. We're both listening to what you're having to say. And if there's something that maybe the family member brings up and the night nurse might be able to chime in like, oh yes, well, I did this, this and that, or I did phone the doctor and or I did do this. It's an opportunity to say, look, or to show, I should say, 
that we're addressing your needs, we're not ignoring you, and that this is what's happening today. This is what's going down. So being honest and setting realistic expectations, I think is um, reasonable. It's reasonable and it's fair. The family member can't say that we've not heard them out and we've not assessed if there are any questions or comments that we can assist them with. Okay, tip number two is to over communicate and plan to spend more time communicating as if what I did was not already communicating guys, right? So like I said, after a shift report, I love doing it with the offgoing nurse there. If they're there, great. If they're not, I always reference that, you know, I spoke with the night shift nurse and he or she mentioned da 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 da. I'm going to continue that and follow up, but I always big them up, right? I always talk them up. I don't talk down. I don't play that night shift versus day shift nurse or blame it on the offgoing nurse or anything like that. Cause I wouldn't want that done to me. And truth is we're just one team. We are all on the same team, but let's say I, I do that touch base at shift report. Okay. Right. Once I've done checking on all my patients and I prioritize, like, who do I need to see first? Like I said, biological needs, emergencies, pain management, those critical things that must be done now get done first. And then I go around to do my assessments and, you know, start passing medications. But in prioritizing, once medical emergencies are taken care of, I do see the neediest family member or friend first, and I over communicate. I've always been of the philosophy to manage up, meaning I don't wait for someone to come ask me, well, what's going on with this? And what's going on with that? Because it makes them feel like they're on the chase for me as if I'm not doing my work. So I beat them to the punch. So I come to them and say, oh, okay, I have done this, 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 and this. This is where we're at. Um, This is the plan. This is what where I'm expecting. I'll keep you posted if anything happens. Um, is there anything that I left out or any other questions? I want to make sure that I'm addressing all your needs and I haven't forgotten anything. So when I do that, I've I'm literally almost smothered them to be like, you can't come for me. Don't come for me unless I call for you and you can't come for me because I've already addressed everything on your list. Now, okay, now, and let me clarify the way that I'm speaking now, I'm talking to nurses, right? I'm talking to my fellow health professionals or anyone that can find themselves in similar work situations. This is not to kind of elude or get away from family members. No, I have a duty and responsibility to them. And I love what I do. I love what I do. It's just sometimes our time can be monopolized by a particular family member or friend when it need not be. So the goal of this podcast is to help you to handle or deal with difficult family members, okay? Because these family members or friends can monopolize your time and your time, time is tissue. This is time that you could be um, listening to a, a complaint, an issue that need not be a complaint or issue with some of these tips that I'm providing you. And then that time can be better spent caring for someone, actually doing something and getting ahead and working on that towards that care plan to get people feeling healthier and more pain-free and actually on their way home. So the tip that we're on now is over-communicate and plan to spend more time communicating. As far as that manage up, I do that with every encounter, with every encounter. And, you know, I know there's a call bell. And here's the thing. Some nurses only go in when they have to have to do something or the call bell goes off. I can't do it all the time, but I try to work it in the schedule. Um, even if I only have like a minute or two, I'll peek my head in the room as long as they're you know, not waking anyone up or disturbing them from watching television or something. I'll just kind of, you know, wave in there and just say, hey, didn't want to wake anyone up or disturb you. Just had a moment, wanted to come by and say everything. Okay. Okay, good. Anything I can help you with? All right. And I always make sure call light within reach, table within reach, bed in lowest position, side rails up. You know, do they need a potty assistance to the bathroom? 
Are they comfortable? Are they in any pain? I address those things. And if I do that proactively enough before they have to call on me, then usually I can keep the family member or the friend at bay with having to feel like they're chasing me for information. Because oftentimes people get upset and they're making, for lack of better words, big stink with the nurses because they're, they've not been informed about what's going on, what the test results are, what can they expect, um, what the delay is. And if you can manage up and to get to them before they come searching for you, that often makes them feel a lot more cared for. Case in point, MRI, let's say you're, uh, or not MRI, let's say a, some type of procedure. Patients have been MPO after midnight because they're waiting for a morning procedure and it's already 10 in the morning. Person's hungry. And they're like, you know, my dad is supposed to go for this test. What's going on? What's the delay? This, this, and that. You know, instead of saying, you know what? I don't know. It's not my department's out of my control. You say that and then they're just going to, it's going to feed fuel to their fire and why they're upset and disappointed and unsatisfied with the service because that's not helpful. It takes a minute and you can do it. Or maybe you can ask the unit secretary or the charge nurse or someone else to help you with it. And, you know, just call down, call down to the procedure center and say, Hey, I have Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so here. She's supposed to go for such and such. She's NPO. Any ETA? What's the ETA? Family's a little upset. Patient's hungry. What can I tell them? I'd like to, you know, give them some information. And if they say, oh my gosh, our scanner is down and this is this and that. It's going to be a couple hours. Just ask, you know, pro, does it look like this is something that's going to be delayed for several hours till tonight, till tomorrow? What, what do you think? Let them say what they're going to say. Take that information Obviously, you want to put a call out to the provider who's supposed to do the surgery because or procedure because it could be like you'd say, oh, there's, you know, this particular scanner, this whatever is down for the next four hours at minimum. Or, you know, what would you like to do? Should I should I keep the patient APO? Should I start them on some some IV fluids for hydration? Can I give them a clear liquid lunch or breakfast? What can I do? Okay, well, you know, Alice, go ahead and give her get her a clear breakfast but nothing after that because we're going to try to do it later today. Or they might say, you know what, let her let me, we'll do the procedure tomorrow. You have some information, you can go back to the patient and their family and say, you know what, I, I called down to the procedure center. They're having some technical issues. Call the provider. Provider said, we'd still like to get that done today. So what we're going to compromise, we're going to go ahead and give you a, give your family member a clear liquid breakfast. But after that, no, nothing else to eat or drink. Because we're hopefully going to still get the procedure done, but it won't be till later in the afternoon, more like three or four o'clock around that time frame. Um, that's an estimate, but that's what we're hoping for. And if something changes along the line, then Doc said that we'll go ahead and give you a full dinner tray and then it'll be MPO after midnight tonight. Sorry for any convenience, but wanted you to know I communicated that. At least we were able to get you something, right? So if you can address those needs a lot sooner, and then, like I said, manage up, manage it all the way up then communicate that they are less likely to come for you. So let me play that scenario again. So if I had said, uh, call down the procedure center, like, oh, our device is down. It's going to be down for like four hours. I could have gone back to the room and said, oh, they said the device is down for four hours. It's going to be a little bit longer, right? Their family members going to be like, but they're hungry, but they're dehydrated. Like what's happening? In that example I shared with you, I took it a step further to really like, let me give this customer service. Now, I know some of y'all are going to say, Alice, this is not the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. I am not in the hotel leisure business, but we are in healthcare and there is an element of customer service that goes with this. And not even just to say customer service, let's do what's humanistically, I don't know if that's a word, right. Let's do what's right. Like on the physiological need, we need to address 
metabolic needs of the patient. So the patient needs, their body needs some type of energy or resource to heal whatever they're going through. I didn't use a, put, add a diagnosis in there or anything, but we all know folks got to eat. Folks need some type of energy to fight infection, to heal from surgery, to, you know, those type of things. So we got to feed the patient in some way. We've got to get some source of nutrition. We know fluid and electrolyte balance and nutrition are very important biological needs. And you may not have looked at that situation as such, but that's why I'm here. We're here to have these conversations. Okay, that was tip number two. I went off on a little bit of a tangent, but that was helpful. Over-communicate and plan to spend more time communicating. So that's what I did. Tip number three, y'all, make small talk and get to know them. Healthcare can be awkward. We're meeting strangers left and right. We're seeing them naked. We're seeing them in pain. We're seeing them disabled, like in their most vulnerable states and moments. And we're meeting their family and their friends where they feel helpless and they may have displaced anger. Now, mind you, I'm not the one to be the punching bag for your displaced anger. You're not going to yell at me because you mad about something you can't control. Boo, I can't control this either. But what I can't control is that I'm going to do my best to take care of your loved one. That I'm going to do. So I think sometimes what's necessary because you have strangers coming together in very awkward, high intensity, scary moments is make some small talk, get to know them. So when I walk into a patient's room, very often if I see a a man or a woman there, I'll say to the patient, oh, who's this handsome person here? Or who's this beautiful young lady here? So I break the ice. It allows the patient to introduce the family member if they can. And if, you know, obviously if the patient's comatose or intubated and can't speak, I'll just, you know, say, hello, I'm Alice. I'm the person that's taking care of your loved one here. And the relation is, and I just kind of leave it open and usually they'll respond, oh, I'm a friend or it's my dad or it's my mom or or whatever the case may be. And I'll just say, okay, so I'm going to be taking care of your dad today, Jason, right? I finally get their name out of him. So Jason, is there anything that you want to share with me that'll help me take better care of your dad? Like, does he have like a a name, uh, a nickname that he likes to be called? Does he like certain, a thing a certain way? Does he like certain music playing, like water drops? Like, let me know. What else can I do to help make your family member more comfortable? And then as I'm doing that, or let's say it's whether it's family or friend, I'll say, oh, are you guys originally from here? And here, I mean, Los Angeles. No, we're from the Midwest. Such, such. Oh, what brought you to LA? And I kind of create some small talk or things like that. And it helps to break the ice. And then not only am I asking questions of them, like I say, oh, we're from the Midwest. You know, my, we moved out of here, my down out here when my dad was in the military. He's like, oh, you know what? My dad was in the military too. He was in the Navy. Um, And in fact, I'm not from Los Angeles either. I was actually born in the Philippines. Then we moved to San Diego and now I'm here in LA. Like I also share information of myself. Now, obviously you have to be very delicate with what you're willing to share, not share. But for the most part, I share some basic things with them. So they don't feel like they're the only ones being vulnerable, but I'm vulnerable as well. You know, especially in the ICU or in the ER with very high acuity patients People are feeling sad and helpless. And if when we, you know, get to gauge the person, but if the conversation goes in a way and they're open to, you know, sharing some of their fears or concerns, like, you know what, I've never planned for this. You know, I'm worried if my dad's in pain, I will share. I say, you know what, I was in a similar situation and my mother, she's passed away already. But when she got sick and I go into some of the details, as long as they're applicable and relatable in this scenario, so I don't just blurt that the same out the same story to everyone, but based on I individualize what I share based on what's going on with the patient. So as we're making small talk, they get to know I get to know them, 
and they get to know me and it helps to foster some trust and some communication. And especially in most times, and I think this is also what makes my scenarios a little more successful where I don't have as much drama, especially in those high acuity situations, life support, pressers, and you know, nearing end of life, because I've been able to share what I experienced, they'll actually ask me a lot of questions about, you know, is it normal to feel such and such? And, you know, while I'll say, you know, well, I'm just, I'll share what I went through. It might be a little bit different from you, but this is what I experienced. And, you know, what might be helpful is if you, you know, do these things, but I'm sharing not only from a healthcare provider's perspective, but also from a personal perspective, someone who is on the other side. You know, I've been a family member. I know what it's like to be in the other situation, waiting for information, waiting for test results, waiting to hear what's happening and feeling very anxious. They have a different, like their perception of time is a lot different from our perception of time because to us, it's like, oh my God, I was just in there 30 minutes ago, but their loved one is dying. So it feels like, Time is just moving too fast Too, you know, it's like, or it's not fast enough. It's just like their, their timing is just different from yours. Okay. So that was tip number three. Tip number four, cluster your care and try to multitask. Now this is something that's very helpful. Not even, okay. Yes. For dealing with challenging family members or friends. Cause let's be honest. Y'all don't want to go in there. You don't want to go in there. It's like, shh, it's quiet. I got some peace. I don't want to stir up no drama and go back in there. And then there they go. Rah, 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 rah. Like I get it. I get it. And this is no shade or knock towards patients, family members, things like that. Cause you guys have valid questions and concerns. It's just sometimes when we finally get a moment of peace, it's like, Oh my gosh, I got to go back in there. And it feels like it's going to stir the cycle all over again. Well, if you're listening to the other tips, if you're listening and applying the other tips, hopefully you won't find yourselves in these situations. But if you are still in that situation, because even though most patient family and friends will get it and they'll understand and things will improve, there will be some of those folks who just don't get it, who are just completely irrational and toxic because there will always be some of those family members and friends, regardless how wonderful you are as a nurse, no matter how many backs you break to get there, don't matter you didn't eat lunch, didn't matter you skipped the bathroom, you didn't spend the whole shift with the patient, there is still not going to be enough for them, right? And those are impossible situations. Hopefully you don't find yourselves in those. But if you do, cluster your care and try to multitask. So think of all of the things that you can do and bring in there with you and knock it out in one trip to the room. So instead of, I'm going to go do my assessment, come back, go get the meds, and then go see the patient. Okay, then I'm going to come back. I'm going to do the treatment. Then I'm going to come back. Forget all that come back, come back, come back, come back, come back stuff. Now, obviously, you aren't responsible for rounding on your patients and rounding on them at a frequency necessary considering their acuity, right? Some people will say, oh, I got to round on the patients every two hours. Sometimes you got to round on the patient more than that based on how sick they are. You do. But I know there are some of you who don't even go, listen, I'm a nurse. I love y'all. I love y'all. I really do. But I'm a nurse too. And I have experienced everything that you are experiencing and have had all of the same feelings, thoughts, and regrets that many of you do. So when I say that certain things, it's because I'm family. I know. There are some of y'all who don't even want to go in the patient's room at all and don't go into unless they call the call bell or you have to give a med or you have to take a blood sugar. Other than that, you're not coming in the room. Now, I hope that's not necessarily the case and that you do, like I said, manage up and come check on your patient to make them, you know, the patient and the family member and friends 
feel more cared for and involved. But (laughs) where I was going with this is if you have a difficult family member or friend and they're being toxic and you're trying to limit that interaction that doesn't have anything to do with patient care, you cluster the care that you have to provide to the patient. So, you know, go grab your meds, go grab the AccuCheck machine, go in there at one time, maybe uh, do your assessment, do the blood sugar. And while you're in there, you can maybe call the CNA to come help you. Then maybe you can just go ahead and bathe the patient. CNA come in there, help you bathe the patient. You know, you've changed the linen, repositioned them, got them comfortable, and then you can step out. And then for the most part, if all goes well, you shouldn't have to come in there right away for anything else unless there's a change in condition or they call you, right? But for the most part, you've attended to all of the major needs. You've done your assessment, you've given meds, you've changed the linen, you've repositioned them for comfort and skin, you got the call light within reach and everything is everything. It's all in place and you've done a lot of care. So you've clustered your care, you've multitasked while you're in there. So patient should be good. Patient's good. That will help you. But I'm telling you, while you're in there, and I didn't say it, throw in wound care if you have to. And you know what? Make them feel warm and fuzzy in front of the family member. Give them a back massage while you're giving them that that bath. And you know what? Include the include the family member. Like, you want to help? You want to massage the legs while we finish bathing this? Or, you know, you want to rub some lotion on your mom's arms? Multitask. Okay, multitask. Tip number five, set your boundaries. So this is a little bit, I set, touched on this a little bit earlier, but let's go there. Are you ready? Let's go there. Unfortunately, there will be situations when the family members in the hospitals, they cross a line, either verbally or physically, right? They've called you out your name. Maybe they've thrown something at you. Golly, this is going to be a story to tell. While I've had patients throw stuff at me, that was usually like in the ER when there was a, a substance involved. So these folks were really not in their right mind. But I've had family members get upset and they're yelling and I'll say this, in many hindsight's 2020, right? When I look back on the situation, they weren't necessarily yelling at me. They were yelling because they were upset with the entire situation. It's nothing that I necessarily did, but they were upset of the entire situation that something wasn't going the way that they wanted it to go and their family member was deteriorating or there was a big ball dropped. Usually it was like another department or something was missed. And I just happened to be the person that caught just was there when it all came to, you know, when it all came up. So I've caught that. And so while I didn't necessarily tolerate them yelling at me, I understood why they were yelling. I've tolerated more because I was a little more compassionate. And the way I addressed that was I would say, you know, Lisa, I'm making this up because I don't know. Maybe Lisa, Lisa, I am so sorry you're going through this. I can completely understand why you were upset. Your mom's Health and safety are of the utmost importance to me. I'm not exactly sure what happened to these other departments, but I am here together receiving this information. Let me please take the opportunity to make sure your mother is safe and let me try to pick up the pieces here or figure out what's going on so we can all together pick up the pieces. But I completely understand you're upset. I know you're not yelling at me personally, but I want you to know that I hear you and I'm going to do my best. And usually when I've said it that way, they've toned down because in a soft check way, I've told them, you're yelling, you're upset, you're yelling. I know you're upset and why you're upset. And it's not at me, but you're yelling. But I've said it in a way that's more like of a storytelling. 
It's of a storytelling. It's acknowledging their feelings. It's addressing what's happening in the moment. And it's also taking, it's also kind of saying, I can't change the past, but from here, let's, let's do this, move forward. Let's do this and move forward. Now, usually that's been of a successful, that's been of success for me. But then there are some patients, family members who aren't going to give two damn cents about that. And they're going to yell at you. And I actually had a patient's family member who was like that major hospital. I'm not going to say the hospital's name, although I'd love to. If you DM me, I'll tell you who it is. The son of the patient, this was a chronically ill patient who was ready to be discharged. It was all about placement issue. They couldn't find a placement. And most of the time, the, the, the placement issue was because of the son and of the daughter of the patient because of how toxic they were with their communication. And his mom had started to desaturate. She had a trach, she had, had a plug, and I was working suctioning her. We were, you know, working on it. I ended up having to, tr- we changed the inner cannula because it was a big plug. We just couldn't, you know, her secretions were so thick, but it required, she, you know, she needed some fluid. She needed a breathing treatment. She needed a whole bunch of things beyond me just trying to suction her and clear her airway because it's going to happen again. It was going to happen again. You effing nurses don't know what the F you're doing. My mom could have died. Her sat didn't, I can't believe how dumb you guys are. Listen, like I, I just stopped mid-sentence right here. And for those of you who are watching the video, you can literally legit see my face. Sir, and this is what I'm saying in my head. Sir, who, who are you talking to like that? Who are you talking to? And so what I did was I could, he was yelling from behind me, right? I'm trying to, to get the patient situated. I get the patient situated, put him on a little oxygen, sets go up. But in the moment, it was a little rough moment, a little scary moment, you know, for the patient, for me and for the family member, because listen, I'm trying, I'm, listen, I am trying, I am trying my best to get your, to, you know, suction and get all this sputum and, you know, hard stuff out of the trach. I, I am literally trying, right? And this was early on in the shift. And after I finished, patient starts to, you know, fats come back up. I think it started to go as low as like, it did hit as low as 89, but we're suctioning, right? Suctioning, patients coughing and, you know, the O2 sat just coming loose off the finger and this and that. But the patient, it probably was legit less than a minute, but to him, I guess it felt longer right? Reasonably so when you're watching your loved one. But sir, I, and I just turned around, I said, I'm doing my best to take care of your mother and you're obviously upset, but sir, you will not yell at me. This is what we're not going to do. You're not going to yell at me while I am focused on your mother. You yelling does nothing for the situation, does nothing to improve the situation. It actually distracts me from being able to do what I need to do. And it's rude. I'm here to help your mother and you're yelling at me as I'm helping her. Would you not like me to help her? Would you like another nurse to come do this? Would you like to do this? Because I'm happy to accommodate your needs. I'm here to help. What would you like? Now, I know not everybody would have said it like that. I know. And I probably pushed it a little bit. What I just said was just a brief, brief part of it. He was very, a lot of B, I would have had to like bleep out the whole statement of what he was saying to me. I was all kind of B words. The F bombs were being dropped. Quote unquote, don't know shit. Like, You can't talk to someone like that and expect for them, I don't give a damn what role you're in. Yes, I'm here to save your mother, but if you don't get out my face and off my back, now I didn't say those things, but I felt them and I thought them and I'm openly okay saying that because I know you would have too. There's not a person alive who wouldn't have thought that. So let's be honest and address the elf in the room because I think that's oftentimes what we're missing when we're having these types of conversations. You're not going to talk to me any old way when I'm trying to try my best, my best to take care of your loved one. You're just not going to do it. 
And if you feel like you need to do it, you got the wrong one. We can, we can get somebody else to do this. We can get somebody else to do this because I'm not going to compromise my sanity and degrade myself and allow you to demean me while I'm helping your loved one. So that's where the family member needs to check themselves. And that's where your chain of command, your charge nurse, the house supervisor, your colleagues, your buddies, somebody needs to come in and help check this person. Because now listen, there is, this is a, this is, this can be a gray area because there are times where a family member will get upset. They're not upset with you. They're upset at the situation. I'm understanding that. But the minute you calling me a bitch, the minute you're calling me dropping F-bombs, the minute you're saying, I don't know shit, that's a personal attack. So to alleviate the situation, because it's all about the patient, it's not about me. Let me remove myself. You got someone else to do this? Because I'm going to let somebody else do this. Charge nurse, some can do this. Another nurse want to do this, but I'm not going to continue to allow a family member to disrespect me. And it's not, they're not just, uh, in this situation, they're not just upset at the situation. They've personally attacked me when they've said that I don't know shit, call me a B word and all these F-bombs. That It's just, it's no longer, it's no longer about that. And so as far as setting boundaries, that is a boundary that is far beyond past. Do not go. Matter of fact, you better apologize. You want me to continue continue to take care of your mother? Apologize. No apology, no nurse. Re, you can reassign me. You can reassign me. And I dare the charge nurse to say, no, you have to do that. Really? Let me see the let me see the variance report. Cause I'm finna I'm finna write everybody up. I'm writing everybody up. Cause you want me to continue to be verbally assaulted. He's right on my back. So he's in my personal space. Damn near physically assaulted. And to continue to provide care and do so in a safe manner and to have excellent communication and customer service? Where do they do that at? Where do they do that at? Because they don't do that here. At least I don't know. I'm not of that land. I'm not of that world. I know you thought the nurse Alice was this immaculate, perfect provider. And I do my best, but I am human. I am human. And just as like, I would not expect anyone else to tolerate that behavior. And let me go back to that situation. Did the charge nurse stand up for me? Hell no. Did the... um. Did the clinical supervisor? Nope. Did the assistant manager? Nope. Did the manager when they came in the morning? Nope. Nobody checked this son who was at the bedside. And you know what? That was the last damn shift I worked there. Sure was. Sure was. Wasn't coming back there. How are you going to leave me hanging and at the mercy of this man, verbally abusive, in my personal space, yelling at me while I'm trying to take care of his mother? You know what? Cause they didn't reassign. They would, they would not reassign me. There's like, Alice, he's going to be okay. I talked to him. He's going to be fine. And all throughout the shift, beady eyes, like uh, talking under his breath, like, I know she don't know shit. And da, 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 da. Really? Really? So what I did, because I was actually, vis- I was a visitor in that facility. So you know that I didn't ask, I was on an assignment. That was the shortest assignment I ever took because tell you, after that shift, I did not come back. And I explicitly explained why I would not. I set some boundaries. And listen, set your boundaries on what you will and will not tolerate from a patient. Like you are not going to be uh, making inappropriate comments towards me. You're not going to be aggressive towards me. You're not going to call me names and you're not going to curse at me. And when a patient's family members or friends cannot meet those boundaries, you bring up the chain of command and someone in that chain of command, because there should be a zero tolerance for that type of behavior in the hospital towards each other and towards patients and towards family. Not, no one should be doing that. I'm going to say next time. Now I didn't do this hindsight. I should have called security. I should have called. Yes. 
I should have what to call that code gray. I should have called a code gray on him. I didn't. But you have to make a stink about it to let people know how serious this is. If no one's doing anything and patients, family, friends are continuing to violate you, that's when you need to inform your chain of command that you will be excusing yourself from that assignment because you no longer feel safe. Yeah, I said it. I no longer feel safe. Are you going to make me continue to work in an unsafe environment? Is that what you want to tell the judge? Is that what you want to tell the lawyers? Is that what you want to tell in your statement when you get subpoenaed to give a deposition? Is that what you want to say? Alice came to me and told me she didn't feel safe, but I told her to keep the assignment. No, they're not going to want to. So you're going to set some standards there. And also, before it even gets this far, as soon as you kind of feel the, the heat coming on, you can tell the patients, I will not allow myself to be treated or spoken to in this way. I'm trying to keep your loved ones safe and take care of them. And I understand you're upset. I'm going to leave the room right now. Um, and I'm going to come back later when you're ready to speak because you need to be able to speak to me in a calm and respectful manner, which is what I am doing with you. The caller light is in reach should you need anything. That's hard to say when you're upset too. And, it's, and I get it. It doesn't seem fair that we as nurses have to contain our emotions or be, you know, because of the, the, the dynamics of the relationship, because we're working at a hospital, we represent the hospital, we have to speak a certain way. When we feel violated, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair. So I want you to equip yourself with some language and to understand what the process is so you know how to quickly get out of a situation like that if it's not improving. Now, tip number six for dealing with difficult or challenging friends or family, involve the family in patient care. So someone doesn't feel like you're giving the, their loved one a good enough bed bath, like, well, okay, come on. I'm gonna get some, I'm gonna get this bath water ready. I'm gonna get some towels. Help me. You can help me give your family member a bed bath. You don't want to help? What? What is that? But you just said we're not giving a bed bath properly. So I'd like you to show me how or you know how to give the bed bath. Now that's what I'm thinking. Will I verbally say it that way? I don't know, might be suggestive of it. But the whole idea of getting them involved with the patient care is because oftentimes they can feel powerless or stressed out and they don't know how to help. And so they have all this bottled up anxiety, anger, sadness, and it's bottling up and it's being projected upon you. So you can help them be constructive with that by having them help you with care. So this is where you as a nurse can choose to spend that extra time teaching and empowering them, right? That's one way to look at it. That's one way to look at it. And if they, you know, and especially if they don't think you're doing it properly, like, well, you know what? I'm trying my best. This is what I usually do. But tell me, maybe your mom has a special way of getting a bath. Can you show me? Let's do this together and give you a chance to feel a part of her care. There you go. That's the PR way of saying it, if you will. And even the smallest tasks are important. They can help learn how to reposition their family members, put pillows, elevate their legs. Maybe they can get some lotion and rub their hands, right? I always tell family members and friends, like they're sitting there, like they don't know what to do. They're scared, they're nervous. I'm like, you can hold his hand. Go ahead and hold his hand. And even if their family member's not talking to them, they're intubated, sedated, whatever. I'm like, talk to them. Research shows that, you know, many times patients can hear what we're saying. Even though they can't respond to you, they can sometimes have vague memories of hearing things. So Tell your family member everything you want them to know. Tell them you love them. Rub their hands. You know, have jokes. Watch television with them. Do all those things, but don't be hesitant to communicate with your family member just because they can't talk back. And, you know, I'm saying all these things because ultimately we all have the same goals. We as healthcare providers, the patient's family and friends, we all have the same goal. We want to see the individual get better, be pain-free, and to heal from whatever's hurting them. And we both can be there for the patient. Sometimes because of the acuity of it, the stressfulness of it, or just being uninformed or not 
being able to con have control of the situation can make it difficult, make people upset. They can be very demanding. They just want the best for their family members, especially if they are experiencing any guilt from not having been there for th with them or for them in the past. So as a nurse, it's important to keep these things in the back of your mind, but by all means, set your boundaries. Set your boundaries, have some compassion, and if you exercise these six tips, hopefully your experience with dealing with difficult family members and patients will go a lot better. Um, let me know what you think. You know, Again, visit the article on nurse.org. It's a great article to share. It's called Six Tips for Dealing with Difficult Patient Family Members as a Nurse. Shout out to nurse.org. They are so supportive and they're the reason why this podcast exists. Also, thank you so much for listening. Make sure to share this with a friend, a colleague, a classmate, someone else who you think might find this beneficial. And let me know what you think. Leave your review on your favorite podcast platform wherever you're hearing this. Um, would love to know what you think. And also let us know what else you'd like to hear about. You know, what you have a story, you have someone you'd like to see on the show. Email me at nursealice at nurse.org. Would love to hear from you. And I also want to shout out, there are a few of you who've emailed me about being a mentor and you've resonated with some of the podcast stories. Thank you so much. I love it. Keep sending those emails. I am responding to you. I am here for you. Nurse.org is here for you. And guys, I love, love, love doing this podcast and talking to you guys. I really do. So until next time, guys, please make good choices, be kind to one another, and live well, my friends. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.